Retro Hangovers, supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Studstill Smash the Milkman, Raging Demon, Katie Quigg, JC, Megan Caruso, Mast Keaton, Andrew Liguori, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, The Backlog, Lunchbox, aka The Disgruntled Gamer, Disca Jenny E, Rick Firestone, Parallax Puddles, Soha, Dave Jackson, Matt, aka Stormageddon, Retro Overdrive, Van Fernal, Keith Gasper, Eric Guess, Nomad from the Retro Wildlands Podcast, Ash Event, Alan Bingham, Storm Beagle, Ryan Player One, Mike the Ref from Backbreaker Gaming, B Ross from Super Garbage Day, Darth Emic, Low Five Alex, and Alt. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the most recent episode of Retro Hangover. Retro and classic gamers, welcome to the podcast where we offer oodles of obscenely offensive odorist occultist oddities. This is Retro Hangover. I am your co-host Chris Copleen with special guest Josh Koval from the Still Loading Podcast. And as always, your host, Shane Celestial Dick Brush Koski. I, I know that this is an audio only format, but I have to say that I appreciate the jazz hands <laughs> as part of the intro. That was very nice. It was especially fun to listen to when you since Discord just cuts out the audio since it's too loud. So you just go completely quiet and all of a sudden jazz hands appear. Yeah. And then Koski comes back in. I think I'm going to start doing that from now on. Just see how the guests react uh, every single time. And I'm looking forward to that. But welcome back to the show, Josh. I can't outside of the King of Games. I can't remember the last time you're on here. So it's it's very nice to have you back on the show properly. It's it's been far too long. It's been a it's been a while. Uh, I think the last time I was on it been was it's been a while. I think it was uh, the Medal of Honor Allied Assault episode a couple like two years ago. Oh, wow. Time flies, man. <laughs> yeah. It does not feel like two years ago. No, because I think like you had me on for that. And then shortly after I had you on for the Final Fantasy fantasy draft. And then this friendship hasn't slowed down since. <laughs> it's just been like guest no. spots all over the place. <laughs> yes. Yes. And just so you know, I'm going to make the shameless plug at the beginning of the episode because I keep waiting till the end. We uh, are doing something called the King of Games 1996. And Josh is part of that. The King of Games 1996. Go check it out on Patreon right now. Today, we're talking about our Patreon game of the quarter. Speaking of Patreon, this game was selected by our patrons in Okami. It was nominated by Tony G. Thank you, Tony. 
Thank you for being at that 32 bit tier or above. Thank you for nominating a game. All the patrons wanted to hear us talk about. Hopefully we'll have opinions on it that make it entertaining at the very least. (laughs) But before we get into the game proper, we'd like to talk about what games we have been playing lately. As is tradition, we let the guest kick it off. So, Josh, what have you been playing lately? Oh, man, Uh, I think as the same as the last time I was on here, I'm playing like three or four different games all at once. Um, Last time, I think it was like Age of Empires and a bunch of other random shit. This time, literally the night before we recorded this, I beat Tunic. Have either of you guys played Tunic? I have not yet. It's it's on my to do list. Me neither. It's like a combination of Dark Souls and Legend of Zelda is the best way I can describe it. I, I won't go into too much. But I, I will say the, the cool gimmick of it is that you collect the pages of the manual, like an old, like a, I'm talking like NES style manual as you go through the game. So you, you can understand basic controls and everything, but the manual adds context of like the secrets that you wouldn't know otherwise. It also adds context to the story as you go through it. So you kind of learn more about why you're doing what you're doing. Only downside to it. Some people like it. Some people don't. The whole manual is written in like this made up type of language. So you have to kind of glean context clues like there are some words written in English, but a lot of it, it you can't read. So you have to kind of figure it out through just interpreting uh not interpreting but inferring what the manual is trying to tell you and as you go through the game you you find different pieces of the manual and you learn more about the plot it's it's really interesting and i would normally think that would be frustrating to a not have the full manual in front of you for a game that actually kind of requires it and b have most of that manual written in something you can't read but it kind of adds to the to the puzzle element of the game once you figure out something in the manual that maybe you could have figured out earlier, but you did it, then it encourages you to backtrack into other parts of the world and revisit places that now you understand what it was asking you to do that you couldn't figure out prior. I really like it. I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm probably going to be doing an episode on it at some point, so I'll save more thoughts on that. But I've been playing Tunic. I've been playing uh, Batman Arkham Asylum again, just kind of for kicks and giggles and for a friend of mine wants to do an episode on it, so I figured I haven't touched the game in a while, so I'm replaying that. And I'm slowly, slowly, slowly working my way through Octopath Traveler. That game has some very brutal difficulty spikes, and I'm currently grinding up some levels, and I'm just kind of bored with it, so I'm taking a break, and I'll get back to it. So yeah, that's what I've been playing. That is an eclectic group of games, but it <laughs> sounds like you're you're getting into tune quite a bit. I know a friend of the show, Keith, of the main quest podcast uh, had had a lot to say about Tunic too. He both loved and hated it. And I, I got more info on that because of his review. Probably know a little bit too much about it without trying to spoil it. I know it has like a ghouls and ghosts or ghosts and goblins mechanic. Uh, yes and no. It, it's, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there, there is like a new game plus type of thing, but I don't want to say anything more without spoiling. If, what Keith is talking about is what I'm thinking he's talking about. I don't think it's like a ghost and goblins mechanic. Okay. Okay. Mm, I may have missed starting that. to smell an awful lot like the game du jour. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think it's that. <laughs> I don't want to get into that <laughs> quite yet. We will get into that. Shane, how about yourself? What have you been playing? Oh, uh, well, I, I not really a, a wide swath of games it's really just like one or two but uh i i finally 
checked out Risk of Rain 2 after it being mm. recommended to me by a couple friends of mine. It is it's pretty good. It's it's a good co-op game. I I've been enjoying it. I've basically just been playing it with another buddy of mine when we get the chance. I did not expect it to be what it is because I played a fair bit of the first one and this is radically different than that. But being a co-op sort of third person kind of roguelike shooter, it's it's good. It's it's a lot of fun. It's also very doable solo because even after I wrapped up the last play session a couple days ago with my buddy, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do one more run because we got to a point that I thought was kind of critical in our run and we just barely missed getting like the the thing, the the MacGuffin. And so I was like, I'm going to do this again. And so I, I did a solo run and I managed to nab at that time. Um, but it's cool. It's got like a lot of little secret things on the different like maps that you cycle through a lot of unlockables. There's something on it. There's like what, 10 plus different characters. And each one has certain like conditions that you have to meet in order to unlock them. And it's just, it's good fun. So I've been enjoying that. And then of course, other than what we're here to talk about today, uh, I've gotten a little bit more time into my latest seasonal character in Diablo 4, and mm. I've put not enough time into Last Epoch, but I want to get back into it, especially now that it officially released with version 1.0. Uh, I put a little bit of time into it pre-release, but I want to get back in because I, uh, I, I, I've seen good things so far and i'm not gonna be one of those people that's out there saying it's the diablo killer or anything because i've definitely heard that before but but it is <laughs> definitely a pretty solid arpg so de- definitely a potential contender for you know like a let's say a top three top five spot maybe for me depending on how the rest of it goes but it's it's pretty promising so far Yes, awesome that's pretty much it for me right now um i don't know what about what about you chris what you got going on being sick a lot since our last recording or just having a lot of days off to the president's day or whatnot, just uh, very fortunate and having quite a bit of time off and getting Okami finished because that that game was uh, <laughs> a bit of an undertaking, as we will discuss. It has really opened up my possibilities to play games I want to play for the first time in a long time, uh, particularly because the next two games I've either either played recently or I am intimately familiar with. So I have a little bit of a break going on in in terms of games I can play right now, which is awesome. First and foremost, I beat Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion for the RH Review Crew. If you want to see my thoughts on that, it's in there. It's it's been divisive for some reason. I don't. Oddly so. Uh, A very oddly divisive game. It's definitely a baby game for babies, but I. I felt like it wanted to be that and there's nothing wrong with being an easy game, but some people like did not like that game at all, which is shocking. I've been playing a lot of Saturn games for a side project that the patrons know about, but I I think I'll I'll hold on to that until about March or April for the main feed uh, to put it out there. But uh, needless to say, I've been playing a lot of Saturn games. I finally beat panzer dragoon saga legitimately for the first time ever and that was that was quite the experience like i was like kicking ass it felt so good like that game finally clicked with me in a way that never clicked with me before i know we talked about it on this this show 
almost three years ago, three, almost four. It's been a long time since we mm, talked about it's it. It's been a while. But it's been a while. <laughs> By the way, fuck Aaron I'm, Lewis. I'm sorry. I, do not I was like say, what guy. is this fucking stained reference? It's the second time I've heard this now. What is going on? I, I don't know. It's something I would used to do on my show a lot when we were talking about it. When Chris said it has been a while since I've been on the show, this is the first thing that popped into my mind. So it's been a while, Shane. Oh, all right. It has. And I do not like Aaron Lewis personally. I've met the man. He's not, he's not a good dude. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving away from that, I've also uh, started playing Xenosaga, but I'll hold what I think about that probably until the next episode uh, to talk about that one. But I do want to quickly discuss, really want to focus on, yeah, I'll talk about Bug here. That's what I'll talk about. Bug for the Sega Saturn. And the reason I want to talk about Bug, because I also beat the murder of Sonic the Hedgehog. Go check it out. It's free. It's fantastic. But the reason I want to talk about Bug for the Sega Saturn is I discovered that there's a bug with Bug that I can't fully put my finger on. I don't know what's going on with it. And maybe it's been known for a long time. I didn't know about it. So I don't want to pretend like I found something or this is breaking news or mm. whatever. Uh, it might be because who wants to play bug when I loaded it up in my mode? I have a, a, a mode, which is a optical disc emulator. There's there's multiple of them. I have the Terranium mode for some reason. When I loaded it up, the start button wouldn't work. I couldn't start hmm. the game. So it's like, OK, it, it might be my controller because I have a wireless controller. What retro bit controller might be an issue there. Swapped out my controller with the 3D pad still didn't work. Swapped it out with. The uh, of the just the Saturn normal pad still didn't work. So it's like, OK, maybe it's my action replay. Took out the action replay, see if the action replay was, you know, fucking with it, because there's a bug in Panzer Dragoon Saga, which makes it that that game has issues when you try to play it with a action replay in there, unless you have a code going on. So I did that same thing. Still didn't work. It's like, huh, this is really weird. So. I took my Japanese Saturn, which has the mode in it, and I put it to the side. I took out my North American Saturn, booted it up, and I have a physical copy of Bug. So I booted up Bug with my with my old Saturn. Battery's dead. Set it for today's date. Didn't work. I'm like, this is really strange. Like, this is an original copy of it. So then I go back in there, just change the controllers. Didn't change out the battery because I'm like, I'm not going to save this. And then just pressed start all the way and just put it to like 1996 is the date. And all of a sudden it started working. <laughs> I'm like, this doesn't make sense. So then I go back in there and I set I, I put the I put my North American Saturn away, put my take my Japanese one back out, get the mode. Uh, and I already installed a new ROM because I want to make sure it wasn't the ISO that was on the uh, that was on the SD card or on my SSD. and boot it back up. I set it for the year 2000 because I wanted to keep it as a leap year to keep all the days the same and the time the same in the, in the internal clock and set it for 2000. Didn't work. I'm like, maybe it isn't the mode. Did so then I set it back to 1996 <laughs> and it worked and it worked again. I <laughs> so I don't I have no idea. I think I mean, that sounds setting... like a feature to me. I don't know. I think you found the only <laughs> game affected by Y2K. I think so. <laughs> So you would say it's a feature, not a bug? Absolutely. Uh. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about a game probably five people recognize. <laughs> if you don't know what bug is, it's a 2.5D action platformer. And it's like, when I say 2.5D, it's like really 2.5D because you can move forward and backward, mm -hmm. like into the foreground, into the background. And it's on a, it's on a 2D plane. It's like when 
yeah, it really is what 2D 2.5D would be. Uh, and it's a okay game, I would say. I need to sit down and actually play it for reasons. But yeah, I, I still can't believe that. Like, what what coding would cause that error? <laughs> I, I want to find out the exact date. I wonder if it is anything <laughs> prior to 2000. If like if I put it in 1999, December would it work? 31st, I don't know. 1st, <laughs> The game just stops working after playing it for an hour <laughs> because I set it to 11 o'clock. Uh, it's it's nuts, but that's what I've been playing, Shane. I mean, that story was way more interesting than mine. Uh, Diablo's everyone likes Diablo, Shane. We all have phones. <laughs> yeah, that's a completely yeah. old joke, but yeah, no, it's still still funny. Still love it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we should probably talk about the game that we're here to talk about. So, in order to give you a little bit of a, a, a some some education on one particular mystical, magical, godlike wolf pupper, Chris, would you like to give the folks at home a brief history of? While now, I think we as gamers have accept gaming to be art, but this perception wasn't always a given. For years, games were still viewed as toys for children and young adults. By the time the PS2 came around, those perceptions began to change. Say it's because the age of the average gamer had risen to the point where that belief would be altered. Say it was because games started having more easily understood artistic merit in their own right, or more likely a combination of both. Today's game, Okami, is one that perhaps many people would associate with helping that mindset more firmly shift. Clover Studios, led by the famous or infamous if you are on social media, Hideki Kamiya and Esushi Inaba, had established a reputation for making games of unique flavor on the GameCube with the Beautiful Joe franchise. Kamiya wanted to make a new franchise that would be built around nature, so he made a minute-long demo showcasing a wolf running through scenic landscapes. After bouncing almost every idea off the wall from members of Clover, the gameplay that would be in the final product began to come together. In addition to somewhat standard gameplay for a 3D action game, the idea of adding a painting mechanic called the Celestial Brush was implemented. This allowed the player to pause the game and draw in the environment to make changes or attack enemies. This addition was spurned by the idea to take what was supposed to be a realistic 3D render game and to shift it to a cel-shaded Sumi-A style watercolor aesthetic. story of the game would heavily focus and borrow from Japanese mythology and folklore and be over 1,500 pages of scripting. Localization had to make quite a few changes to accommodate Western audiences, and this included changing some themes and elements that would be more inherently known by Japanese gamers, but would have to be re-engineered in order for Western audiences to have a firmer grasp of understanding. That localization, with direct assistance from Hideki Kamiya, would take a bit of time and result in the game coming out five months after its Japanese release of April 20th, 2006. Okami was published by Capcom and released on September 19th in North America, with Europe seeing it on February 9th, 2007.
received rave reviews by critics, with it scoring a 93 in aggregate. EGM gave it an average of 9.5 out of 10, saying it was one of the best games of the year. IGN's Chris Roper gave the game a 9.1 out of 10, calling it beautiful, charismatic, and engaging, with IGN giving Okami their overall game of the year. Sales of Okami were relatively low, with the game selling near 300,000 units for the PS2, but was still the 100th best-selling game for the United States in 2006. Even with high critical praise, on October 12, 2006, Capcom announced that Okami's development house, Clover Studio, would be dissolving with its final active date in March of 2007. While it may be assumed that it was due to the comparatively low sales of their games, it was actually due to Clover's three major players, Shinji Mikami, Atsushi Inaba, and Hideki Kamiya, leaving for what would eventually become Platinum Games. That wouldn't stop Capcom from releasing Okami to other systems, however. Capcom would give Okami to American studio Ready at Dawn for a Wii port, where the player could now use the Wiimote to control the Celestial Brush. They would also make the player waggle the Wiimote for basic attacks, a change for sure that was divisive. That version was released in North America on April 15th, 2008, with Europe receiving it on June 13th and Japan on October 15th. There would also be high-definition remasters for the game on the PS3, PC, PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and Amazon Luna in the years to follow. And that is your brief history of Okami. Hi, yes, hello. Um, what the fuck is a Luna? I have no fucking it's idea. Amazon's <laughs> game streaming service. It was like Google Stadia, but for Amazon, oh, that's it's, a good it's comparison. Actually, it actually still is running those, from my understanding. Like Amazon Luna was, as far as I'm aware, is still operational. Yeah, no, it, it is because every time I turn on my Fire Stick to watch like Netflix or something, it's just like, did you want to play this new popular game on Luna? And I'm like. I probably don't know, but thank you for asking. It has to be cloud, right? Like it has to be cloud game. It, oh, it's cloud yeah, based. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a cloud based gaming uh, platform. Yep. Well, at any rate, more specifically about Okami, boy, am I sure disappointed that I missed out on playing the Waggle version. Man. Fun fact Ooh. I played the Waggle version. Yeah. Oh, for, wait, for, for the episode today? Actually, yeah, it would go into the personal experiences. I didn't know if when you guys wanted to jump into that, so I can I'll save it for that. So you just let me yeah. know when. No, no, just go ahead. <laughs> Let's roll right into it. Okay, just get get right in there. You made the segue. This is perfect. There you go. Uh, that professional podcaster right here. Hell yeah! <laughs> Back in 2020, actually, a little history on my show still loading. I did not used to be a weekly podcast. I was bi-weekly for years, and then. In 2020, before I knew the pandemic was going to happen, or before I knew the pandemic was happening, I should say, I started preparing. Actually, in 2019, I started preparing for it for the PlayStation 2's 20th anniversary. So I wanted to do a series to honor the PlayStation 2, one of my favorite systems, and I would go weekly for the first time. And I called it the Summer of PlayStation, Summer of PS2, and I would cover a different PlayStation 2 game each week. Actually, Cade from Gaming Memories was on the Shinobi episode for that one. But one of the episodes that I did was on Okami. I actually specifically got the Wii version of it because my friend Justin, who's also been on the show a bunch of times, he suggested it. He loved the Wii version. And so before I 
knew about any of the context that people didn't like the Wii version, that was the one that I was like told by friends, like, oh, you should try this out. You should go play the Wii version of this. So that's how I experienced it back when I first played it. Now, in preparation for this, I did refresh myself on the game, but there is no goddamn way I'm replaying the whole thing as you will get into. (laughs) Yeah. As to the length of this game, I played it for the summer of PS2. I actually re-listened to that episode just to remember, like, what did I think like four years ago? Almost. Actually, I recorded that episode around Christmas of 2019 and it didn't get released until the summer of 2020. So it's like a real snapshot in time of like, like three months before the pandemic started. Hmm. It's really weird. That's wild. But like, I can understand why people would think that, right? Because the celestial brush mechanic would lean right into the Wiimote mm-hmm. and it probably played really well on a CRT. I'm imagining you didn't play that on a CRT. No, I did play it on a CRT. Oh, you did. Okay. Uh-huh. So like, I'm also like when I was playing through this game, I saw a lot of people, uh, their, their long plays were from the Wii version and just how quicker it would be with the celestial brush because, you know, it's easy to situate position and, mm-hmm. You know, do what you need to do with the movements that we'll talk about when you get into gameplay, which is a little bit harder to do with the controller, but it doesn't really matter because you have more time, of course. Mm-hmm. So I, I haven't heard a lot of hate for the Wii game, but that's the only thing I have heard was the thing I mentioned in the brief history was that every single time and maybe you can correct me on this every single time you wanted to attack, not just move the celestial brush, you had to waggle the, the, the Wii mode. You did. I'll go into a little bit more during gameplay of what I liked and didn't yeah. like about that. But there is some there was some pros and cons from when I played it. OK, so I can completely understand why people may have liked that. But I guess I'm going to get to my personal experience here next. I'm I mean, I, you probably have the most interesting story. I don't know about Shane. We'll, we'll find out because he's next. <laughs> This is one of those games that I've always wanted to check out one way or another. And it's one of those games like it's either super available and I'm like, I'll get back to it later Mm -hmm. or I just don't have the the money to get to it. You know, one or the other. So when it came out on PS2, I'm like, "Ah, maybe I'll get it. It was 2006. So that wasn't the best time to really get a PS2 game. And then right after that, the Xbox 360 came out. So that captured my attention. Uh, That was the game I'd be playing a system. I'd be playing games on. And then like the Wii came out, but I I think I, I don't know why I passed it up. I think it was just like, oh, it's an older game. It'll drop in price. And then after it dropped in price, I didn't get to it. So I just never got to it for a very long time. And then I was very interested in getting one of those Hong Kong physical copies when it came out for the PS3. Because for those who don't know, the PS3 version did not come out as a physical copy in North America. It was digital only. So the only way that you could have gotten a physical copy of Okami HD, which at that point, like we didn't know it'd be coming out on the PS4 or, you know, the Xbox one or whatever. The only way to get a physical copy was if you ordered it from Hong Kong. So I wanted to get one of those. I just didn't for whatever reason. I really wanted one probably because I didn't know about play Asia at the time. That probably would have been the place to get it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eventually, I think I just ended. I don't remember when I actually got it. It had to have been. It had to have been like four years ago, because when I booted this up, I saw a save file from my son who had been playing it. Oh, okay. And I think I got it super cheap. And I was like, you played this? He's like, yeah, uh, I played this all the way back here. It may have been even been in 2018. And he had played it for three hours. I'm like, I didn't know I bought this game this long ago. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) I'm glad I finally got to it. That's my personal experience. I bought it probably in 2018, 2019, somewhere around there. 
and it sat on my shelf and it was finally available for me to play now. Such is the fate of a collector. So how about yourself, Shane? So my personal experience, it differs from what I feel like I've been saying a lot recently, which is, you know, generally just like, oh, I didn't know about this and found out about it way later. And here I am. Um, I, I didn't play it when it originally released, but I, God, what is it? It's got to have been, what, four years ago now? Something like that? I don't even know. But uh, a number of years ago, I picked up the HD version on my Switch uh, in preparation for a long flight, actually. And I started playing it uh, on the plane. And I actually got a pretty decent chunk of the way into the game. Um, I want to say... Let's say maybe eight, eight hours ish, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a, a decent way. I enjoyed it. I remember enjoying my time with it. Um, but for some reason or another, I ended up dropping it and never going back to it. Probably because I got distracted by something else that I either wanted to play or had to play for the show or something. But um, and I just never went back. And it was it's always been sitting there like I still have the save file on my switch. But for episode today i actually ended up playing it on steam i bought it again um mostly because i just wanted to play it on my steam deck because i have the you know just awful problem of the fact that my wife has been bogarting the switch to try to finish uh tears of the kingdom so i guess there (laughs) there are worse problems to have but yeah yeah so i was just like well you know what i'm not gonna fight for the switch so i'll just pick it up on steam because i got this handy dandy steam deck and so that's uh how I played it this time around. But yeah, that's that's pretty much my personal experience. I've played it on two different platforms. Spoilers, have not finished it on either. But we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think we said that like take a shot every single time we say that we're gonna talk about that later in this episode. <laughs> and you can join along with us. Uh there's a lot probably. of pent up emotions about this game. It's yeah, we're we're going to kind of get there, but that kind of actually segues into where I think the, that watershed moment's about to happen. And that is in this game's plot slash writing. Now, before we really get into this game's plot, let's kind of establish the the backdrop here about what's going on in the world of Akami, which does open up immediately. Like even when you boot up the game, it has a cold open of going mm-hmm. into the game's history, which tells you the story about. How there was this hero named Nagi, which is short for Izanagi, because this game is Japanese folklore. And there's uh, Shiranui, not related to Mai. I don't know about Shiranui. That's, I don't know if that's a folklore thing or not. Probably is, because everything in this game is. Shiranui the wolf is terrorizing this town, or not really terrorizing, just sitting on the outside of the town, and people don't trust the wolf. And there's this hero, Nagi, and, but they're all worried about this eight-headed, eight-headed serpent named Orochi who every year comes to feed on a maiden of the village. And so one year they decide to select the maiden who happens to be the person that Nagi's crushing on. And Nagi's like, you're not going to, you're not going to steal my cake. (laughs) The power of boners wins yet again. (laughs) Exactly. Boners, (laughs) boners drive everyone to save the day, I guess. And he decides to go fight Orochi and through some shenanigans, the wolf Shiranui and Nagi end up defeating Orochi. You're like, okay, what does this have to do with anything that's going on in Okami? 
Go ahead, now, uh, Josh. Real quick, can I just say how much of a dick Nagi is? Because if you think about it, there are people being sacrificed consistently. Like, this is a problem in the village. And it's not until it's about a woman that he wants to bone that he's like, all right, Orochi, now I'm going <laughs> to take you down. Don't I don't give a shit about the other women who were eaten by you. It's now only that the one I want to have sex with. That's the one that matters now. So now I'm going to th- now we're going to throw down. I remember playing it. I'm like, that's weird. Yeah, it was it was cool when you were munching on those butter faces. But now now things are serious. <laughs> Orochi was just swiping left for Nagi is what we're learning. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all that's going on here. You know, it's 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 a dating app for mythical Japan. <laughs> But what what does this have to do with with our main plot for our game here? Uh, because at the beginning of the game, there's this asshole to say, who decides to unseal Orochi, who you find out who that is later. And then Orochi has become revived. And for some reason, the wolf has become revived, but it's not Shiranui. It's now Amaterasu. And you are met by this small little bug-like thing who tells you that you have to go stop Orochi because Orochi has clouded the world of Nippon and has poisoned the the blossom tree of Sakuya, who uh, is is the one of the most suggestive characters I have seen in a game with this sort of art style, which I yes. I, I I definitely appreciate in so many ways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and now you're supposed to go off, and you're supposed to. Kill Orochi with, you know, you learn that you're going to have the help from one of his descendants or, quote, help, unquote, uh, one of his descendants, uh, Suzano, who is uh, also based off Suzano O, who in Japanese folklore is the sibling of Amaterasu. So, uh, which is not the case in this game, oddly. But yeah, that's that's the basic setup that you're given. And like Izanagi is one of the main characters in that story with Amaterasu and uh, Susano. Oh, they're all related somehow. I'm not okay. going to get into it. I'm no expert. I'm not even going to try. Uh, and I'm going to say that repeatedly because uh, I'm going to get into that a little bit. But that's your basic setup. So, yes, you, the player, are given the impression that the entire game is about killing Orochi. Mm-hmm. That's the plot. That's definitely the full plot and not just a third of it. Not just a third. But with that being said, Shane, I I have not given you the opportunity to talk a lot. So why don't you uh, speak on what me and Josh might be alluding to here? Yeah, sure. Uh, Listen, man, this game's story, it's it tells a really great, like, let's say 11 to 14 hour story. It sure wraps up real nice. I'm Mm -hmm. you know what? I feel like I'm gonna take the uh, some somewhat of a pseudo like Indiana Jones take on this, in that I'm just gonna pretend that the other two thirds of this game like just <laughs> never existed. I I know that this is like going into more of like I guess the the rest of our categorical conversation pieces, but I mean, listen, it's it's the elephant in the room, right? Um, the the Orochi in the room, and and that is that this game's too fucking long. It's too long. There's too much. Yeah. Too much game. Yeah. And I I I stopped caring. I, I stopped caring. Like after after I defeated Orochi, I was like that felt that felt it felt like closure. And I was like, you know what? This could be a really awesome tight fourteen hour experience. And 
I would probably have a lot more things to say about it positively in that regard if that were the case. But then the game does its like narrative BS where it like gives you this long expositional thing after you defeat Orochi. And it's just like, and then the, the wolf got the sword and it was the mystical sword. And he, she was going to use that sword to continue her adventures because you thought that this was the end of the story, but oh no, this is just the beginning. And I was like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it is not. I, I am done. I did the thing. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, so narratively, right? You're, you're going from this, this one arc and, and this is the thing. This is what really throws me about it. And I'm just, I'm, I'm going to be soapboxing here. So I'm hoping you guys can go for it. Stick with me for a moment. This is actually what truly bothers me about this, because if the game were like 40, 50 hours, but the the narrative arc was such that I felt like I was continually going towards a a satisfying denouement, a, sat- a satisfying conclusion, and oh. I didn't feel like I was getting interrupted along the way, that would be a totally different story. And I'd be like, you know what? I This game is earning that length i don't feel like this game earns the length i feel like it's it's doing it's almost like it's doing it out of a necessity where it's just yeah. like hey games need to be long because that's what the kids want right now and so let's get had this fucker out for like another 30 plus hours and i don't think it was necessary and, and it's very jarring and and that's the problem and i guess that's probably why i'm talking about it in the in the plot and writing section is because my issue with the game as a whole really is kind of hinged on how they tell the story. Like you're given a, a full a full hero's journey in the first like 14 hours and then yes. you you wrap it up mm-hmm. and then it's like nah son get back out there and it slaps you on your furry behind and then you're out there again and I'm just like no. Like I I finished the story. I don't I don't want a part 2. I don't want to keep going. Like if you released a sequel, sure, maybe I'd, I'd take it then, but it just, it feels wrong, like narratively. And mm-hmm. so like, I was just checked out at that point. And honestly, I stopped playing. Like I felt like I got what I wanted and I suddenly had like zero interest in finding out the rest of whatever the game had for me. Uh, really quick before I put this over to Josh, cause I have a theory about that. But I just want to say this, too. I mean, that 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 point after you defeat Orochi uh, on that first third, I know we're technically getting the spoilers. I, I think we just talk about spoilers moving on from here. I'm not even going to give that disclaimer. So spoilers after you defeat Orochi, like when you go to the next place, it doesn't really explain why. It just says it's time to go. Like, it's just like, oh, you might see a dark cloud going, but there's no indication there would be anything after that. There's no indication that there's anything bigger than the world that you're in that you've already explored. I mean, there's kind of hints at places like there's bridges and like you can't go in here, but like that's that's not really central to the key plot. And it just feels like you're right. It feels like at that point I do have like once again, have a theory and I'll I'll say it after Josh has his piece. But it feels like the game was intended to end there Mm -hmm. at some point. Josh, what's your impressions about the plot? So I kind of equate this to a little bit of what my opinions have come to be of Final Fantasy VIII, where the first 
disc of Final Fantasy VIII has some of the most interesting world building in a Final Fantasy game, in my opinion. And then discs two, three, and four ruin it. Yeah. And this has a really interesting and fun setup. I'm not saying it's like a groundbreaking story or it's like this emotional roller coaster or anything like that, but it's got a good enough setup that you're invested in the characters. You want to see what happens. And then when you beat Orochi after the first third or however many hours into it, and then the the only thing that it gives you a hint, and I'm reading this from the Okami wiki, is that evil, what is it? A black evil spirit floats northward. That's it. So you yep. see like something leave Orochi and then, you know, float northwards. So, you know, you have to go somewhere else. And that's pretty much all of the hint they give you. It really bothers me because I, I had the same point that you did, Shane, where I, I beat Orochi. I'm like, all right, I fucking beat him. Let's do this. I beat the game. And no, you didn't. There's a whole nother major boss at the second third. And then there's a final boss, which I actually kind of like the final boss fight a lot. Yeah. But boss fights independent of the story it the pacing's awful it keeps trying to it keeps trying to wrap up the story every like five to ten hours and then it's like just kidding you have another five to ten hours to go and the other thing i want to bring up in terms of story there are too many goddamn characters in this game there are so like if you take out the the celestial the like celestial brush characters, you know the the ones that give you the powers and their other gods, and I forget all their names. But if you if you take those thirteen out, plus let's say let's say even like I think because there's like power ups for some of them. I don't remember if you get them from other celestial gods or if you get them from random or if you just upgrade them yourself. But if you take out those thirteen celestial brushes, I'm on the wiki right now. I stopped counting after seventy character pages. <laughs> and so even if you take out the 13, you're still at over 50, 50 different characters that are that's including Amaterasu and Isun and Priestess Rao and like there's a button and Orochi and whatnot. So there are main characters. But Chris, even when you were just going over the basic setup, there was like 10 or 12 different characters you had to keep track of just for the yeah. backstory of the plot. I'm all for like complex character dynamics like there's games that do that well uh, i could, could think of like um i mean uh final fantasy tactics and stuff like that there's lots of like intrigue and political intrigue and stuff like that so you need to have a lot of characters from my memory it's been a minute since i've played it but with this you don't give a shit about any of these characters like you barely care about the main ones and you meet so many others that i just i don't care and most of them are just a chance for isu to be a fucking pervert and try to crawl up women's <laughs> blouses and whatnot. So, yeah, I feel bad because I, I do legitimately enjoy this game, but the story is one of my biggest gripes. I, I just cool setup. And then the last like two thirds of it were just unnecessary. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree with that. And and actually, just real quick, I kind of want to expound upon that point about not caring about the characters. And the thing is, is like, even though there are quite a few if if this game were a much more focused i would even go so far as to say perhaps intimate experience of just like the Ooh. the whole the whole thing is just that first like third and that and that's it i mean i i genuinely was invested in the in you know all of the the people in the village and you know i we got to know each one of them mm -hmm. maybe not super super well but they all had pretty 
definitive personalities and so it was pretty easy to remember who was who and like what was going on in the village and what their like vested interest was and things that were happening and I totally dug all of that like I liked all the characters I love the sort of you know oddball humor that kind of permeates a lot of you know the dialogue and how the characters act and especially in Kamiki Village I'm with you on that sorry yeah on no, no, no. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And and like even going so far as to, you know, into like slapstick territory for some of them. And so I, I really liked all of that. But then after that, like you said, and granted, I've already admitted I did not play past defeating Orochi, but like I went and looked up the rest of it and I can totally see. And it seems like you're corroborating this, that after that, it's sort of and no pun intended, but it kind of loses the plot like afterwards. Right. Where it's just like, yeah. Oh, suddenly you've got all of these places and people that you're talking to and they just sort of become like reasons to move the plot along or like just things to bounce dialogue off of and you're not particularly vested in any of it. And I don't want to go too far off into like a rambling pontification about this, but this is also sort of an endemic issue in other forms of entertainment too, where everybody seems to be afraid to tell a tight focused story. Like everybody's mm-hmm. trying to chase that like cinematic universe bullshit ever since Marvel was so far the only one to actually pull it off. Well, and even they have totally fucked it up now, but like everybody's trying to chase this grandiose vision of everything that everything has to be huge and epic. And it doesn't like, Oftentimes, a lot of the things that stick with us the most are those smaller, sometimes bite-sized experiences. I mean, spoilers for one of our previous episodes, if you haven't already listened to it, but aside from like the soundtrack, there is a reason that I love Bastion as a game so much, and that is because it is a small, relatively short experience, but every bit of it is meaningful, and you lose that when you try to go for this grand scope assassin's creed giant map with a thousand things on it you know approach and and i kind of feel like this game suffers from that because it had like a real great small game experience and then it just like blew it up in the last Mm -hmm. two thirds i'm gonna i'm gonna this is where i'm gonna get on my theory here about what i think is going on i'm actually going to disagree with both of you a little bit Uh, Just a little bit, because I understand where you all are coming from. But my theory is, is that Okami originally was supposed to be that 15 hour game. But if you look at the timetable, if you look at the fact that uh, Kamiya and Inaba and uh, Mikami all left at the same time, because pretty much after this game released, Clover Studios was done. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were leaving Capcom. So Capcom was funding this game. These people were making Okami. And uh, you could see like eventually afterwards, there was this this section at the end of the credits that was very important to them. that got removed out of the Wii version that they're upset about. So this game was important to them. And, and like this is a game seeped in Japanese lore. So like this is probably them like these are things that are really cool and things that we really like about our culture. But I think it was initially intended to end at that 15 hour point and they had plans for a sequel. But I think when they saw that they were getting up to the end of the PlayStation's lifespan, when they came up with the idea that they probably wanted to move on and do different things, and they started to realize that whatever they were doing was going to be their last project, they're like, hey, 
we want to tell the entire story of Okami. Now, I haven't read any developers interviews or anything like that. So this is completely conjecture on my part. I'm not saying this is what happened, but I'm thinking that they're like, hey, instead of making a sequel or making a third game, because they did that with Beautiful Joe, they had two Beautiful Joes. They're just like, let's take all of our ideas and make it the remainder of this game and make it one game. Because I do think that everything after Orochi, that entire world, that entire setup, I think the plot is good. I think the storytelling is good. I think the writing is good. I think the way that they relate it back to Japanese lore is good. I do care about a lot of the characters. It's But it's not so much the fact that I can't appreciate what's going on there. It's the reason that I start to become apathetic towards it as a whole is because I have been playing it for so long mm-hmm. and you haven't given me a break. You haven't said this is a hard end. I, uh... And that's the problem. Because it does feel like two separate games in tone, in Mm -hmm. game design, in vision, like they are two separate games. And so when I look at that, it's like maybe this second part was supposed to be a part two, but they just thought to themselves, we are never going to get an opportunity to make a part two. Let's do it now. And that's like that's where I'm conflicted because all of you are like, oh, I don't care about the plot. It just goes on too long. And I agree but I do think everything that there is great, especially when you get to the part where they're up in um the end part, where it's supposed to be uh, Hokkaido and about mm-hmm. the Ainu. And it's about the uh, I forgot the name of the, the what it is in the game, but it's about the the Ainu culture up in uh, Hokkaido and, and everything that happened there. And well, not not the genocide the Japanese did more of the, the, the good things that the <laughs> Japanese like to like to talk about and their mythology. It's like it's very endearing because it does go into the the Ainu epic. It retells that story. And I'm like, this is really cool, but I've been playing this game for 30 hours and I just want it to fucking end already. Like this, this is dragging as cool as it is, as awesome as this plot development is. I've done this like 10 times already leading up to it. This should be done. That's more my take. It's not that is the plot and the writing is bad, but you're both right. It just does not fucking end. Well, yeah. And I don't, I mean, I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but I might myself personally like i'm not implying that the the rest of the story or characterization or anything is inherently bad it's just that there's too much of it i think you bring up a good point chris and i i I never disliked the plot i think it was just not even that it maybe not that it was told poorly i think it's just the pacing the pacing really kills the plot Mm -hmm. of this game i wonder if i would have stopped after defeating orochi taken like a year long break and come back and went to the second third of the game. I think that would have been a lot stronger. Maybe I would have been able to retain more of the plot of the second act. Cause I remember I, before I even refreshed myself for this episode, I remembered most of the plot from the first act. I remember Orochi. I remember Sasano. I remembered, I remembered Nagi. I remembered Ami uh, and Shiranui. I remembered all of that for the most part, maybe not quite all the names, but I remembered the basic plot setup. I couldn't remember fuck all for the second act. I did remember the big crazy plot twist where everything's actually controlled by Yami. And I actually think if they would have taken out that second act where you eventually fight nine tails at the end of it and just kind of found Mm -hmm. a way to connect the story of the first act with the final third, which is like not really a final third. It's actually like less than a third. It's like there's two huge chunks. And then the last little section up in the north with all the snow where you fight Yami. That's like, 
another two to three hours as opposed to another like five to ten type of thing. But like, yeah, if they would have combined those two, I think it would have been a much more succinct story and it would have been easier to keep track of the characters. But I think your theory makes a lot of sense because there is a whole, you know, Kamiki Village, crazy number of characters that are all interesting and engaging. When you go to the second city, which I can't even remember the name of that second city off the top of my head. Yeah, it doesn't feel important either. That's I can't remember it. Like there's a whole nother cavalcade of characters. So I think the plot itself isn't necessarily awful. It's just that it's paced so poorly that it's hard to. I think you nailed it when you said it fatigues you. You get fatigued very easily and it's hard to remember everything. And it's a shame because. The characters are, for the most part, interesting. They are engaging. I like the bosses a lot too. Like even like the like the the boss fights are. Well, I'll save that for the gameplay. But it everything that the plot sets up is really interesting. It's just that I think the pacing is just way off. Agreed, hundred percent agreed. Shane, do you have anything to add before we move on to the gameplay? Because I think we're there. Uh, man. I mean, I feel like we sp- we spent the whole plot and writing discussion talking about how the game goes on for too long which i think is 100 percent valid by the way but i mean i feel like i i should throw in there that in terms of of writing itself i i genuinely enjoyed pretty much all of the writing in this game i think i will say that there's a bit too much exposition i'm never necessarily a fan of that i also a hundred percent despise the fact that the game chooses when and when you cannot speed up the dialogue that mm, irritates me yeah. to no end you know it's better in the ps2 where you couldn't even skip the scenes where you had to feed the animals oh god oh. i didn't even know that that's yeah that's bad yeah Ooh. okay well anyway <laughs> going back to the writing staying on target here uh go, going back to the writing i, I would say the character dialogue I, I i'm gonna be honest i don't really give a shit about how the expositional stuff was written it's fine it's there's nothing wrong with it it's probably too much but the character dialogue i really enjoy and that's kind of what i was alluding to earlier where i always appreciate when a game can successfully weave some sort of like tongue-in-cheek humor into the dialogue without it feeling too cringy or or too cheesy and i think this game does that really well um there's also and it's not necessarily dialogue but it's storytelling in its own right but i mean it also does this really great job of having like little visual gags too when certain things happen like even even with the orochi fight actually like all eight heads of Orochi pop out and it's all this like epic music and it's like, Oh shit's about to go down. And then one of the heads just like pops out out of the back and is like all confused looking around like a dumbass. Like that's just little things like that, that I really appreciate. So I just, I just wanted to point that out because I wanted to spring, you know, just to sprinkle a little positivity on the otherwise mostly negative oh, yeah. take here that I, I do think the writing is really well done. I think it's well done as well. You uh, hit the nail on the head on one part is one part there. That was there's too much exposition. Like mm. characters do not shut up. I also think it's a little <laughs> funny and weird. I love Asun. I know that uh, we said he's a little pervert, but I, I like that about him, that he's a little pervert. And he just never stops being a pervert. <laughs> but what's weird is that what's weird is that no one really reacts to him being a little shit pervert. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's true. just he's talking to them. Well, the priestess Rao, and he's like, look at this busty babe. And she's like, busty babe? Like, 
come on now. He won't stop calling you babe. He says he's talking about how big your rack is. And you're just like, oh, well, uh, just go find my stuff. It's like, all right. I mean, there's kind of an in-plot reason for that when when you think about it, because, you know, she's not all who she seems to be. Uh, so she's there's a reason for her to play along. But like everybody else that he just completely hits on the entire time, they just mm-hmm. maybe it's because he's a like a bug. I mean, he's yeah. not literally a bug. He's just a very tiny. He's a punkle. He's a very say, tiny he, guy. He would take offense to you calling him a bug. Mm-hmm. He's midna light. It, it just no one else reacts to him just being a complete perv, which is equally hilarious and disturbing at the same time. But I, I like some other. But like the characters, when they're done right, they're done right. Like I think that uh, Waka, not Final Fantasy Ten Waka, but uh, <laughs> like the the character who follows yeah, you around. Brother. I think he's an. I think he's an endearing character. I think that like Queen Homoko and and Priestess Rao are endearing characters. I think all the characters in Kamiki Village are are interesting. I thought that the writing when you go to Susana's shrine or Sasa shrine, the one with the birds, mm. like the writing there is is just fantastic and it's funny mm-hmm. and yeah. it, like it does what it's supposed to do in a writing aspect. And especially like I said, when you go up to the Hokkaido area and Oki is the, is character. Uh, he's he's a good character, too. And there's just so much there's so much potential there, but it would be that much better if the pacing was better, if it didn't keep on bait and switching the end to you mm-hmm. at every opportunity that it could. Uh, then it would be, I think, easier to remember and more to stick in your mind. I think that's why all of us I played. I went through the whole game and I still like I can tell you more about the characters in the first village than any other location in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I will say the game caps off with a with a highlight spirit bomb from straight out of dbz it does and it I, does I a lot that. of japanese games do that man i'm hey the power of friendship is fucking powerful and i'm here for it yes final fantasy 4 earthbound <laughs> and okami they're all about that shit i think final fantasy 5 did it too someone should track that like where does how how many games end with like a spirit bomb finish right pray just uh everyone pray <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to add, Josh? No, I think I think we cover. I I am happy you kind of helped me walk back a little bit of how strong my criticism was. I, I I'm honestly, if there is a way that I could fast forward straight to the second act, I would honestly consider replaying the entire second act, like completely away from that first act, so I wouldn't be fatigued from it. So I, I'd be curious to go back to to like see it because like the game went way too long. It's hard for me to really enjoy the writing from it but i i did enjoy the characters from when i when i played it and like you said it, it's easy to remember the first village like it's so much easier to recall characters from the first village than it is anywhere else oh, yeah. but yeah no that i think i think uh, it's all covered on my end so let's get into the gameplay here which i don't think we'll be talking as much about the plot we'll find out uh, because there is a lot here to talk about uh so as discussed in the brief history this is it's essentially set up to, especially at the beginning, your basic 3D platformer. You're a dog. You have a little imp thing riding you. So, I mean, first impressions might be, hey, this is Twilight Princess. And I'm not going to say you're entirely wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's not apples to apples. I mean, well, it's apples, different colored apples. Well, we'll yeah, it's it's close. It's close. I wouldn't say it's a one to one, but it's close. And uh, you go around and you attack enemies. And uh, that run into you, the, the Japanese curse scrolls that in- initiate a kind of fight, kind of it's almost like a RPG battle when you really think about it. Mm. And there's dungeons. You go into dungeons and you collect brush abilities, which you activate with the R1 button. And then you make little brush strokes on the screen, which 
I know I'm going to be talking about, and uh, that will help you get into uh, boss areas, and then you fight a boss, uh, and that will complete the dungeon. So there's a lot of traditional kind of Zelda setup to it, which is why it draws so many comparisons to a Zelda light or Zelda like. And there's a lot of wide open spaces where you have to go around and explore and you find things that can make your journey easier. Just little secrets and, uh, you know, Easter eggs and such that will aid you in your quest. So that's the very basic foundations of it. Uh, the Celestial Brush has all sorts of abilities. Of course, you can slash enemies with it. You can slow down time. You can make bombs. You can summon wind. You can summon lily pads on water. You can you can do all sorts of things with it that will help you navigate through dungeons. So, Josh, I'll let you start off on this one. Uh, what did you think about uh, what's your what's your thoughts on the gameplay? Um, overall, I actually I, I enjoyed the gameplay a lot. It I think what really kind of resonated with me was the specifically, in all honesty, as silly as, as this sounds, the running when uh, when Amaterasu starts running, it actually kind of fits in with the theme the story is trying to tell. As much as I shat all over the story in the last segment. Um, <laughs> one of the major themes is trying to get rid of the darkness and bring light back to Nippon, right? That's one of the major themes. And so a lot of the bosses and elements that lead up to that as you're exploring the world is all about rejuvenating, bringing life back to the forest, at like, like healing the trees and stuff like that. So when Amaterasu runs, literally the gameplay mechanic of running does that flowers spring up in a trail behind her uh, to kind of simulate like she's bringing life back to the world as she runs through it. Obviously it doesn't stick around because there's no way they could render all that and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, and also I think it kind of loses the cool visual effect of like a trail of flowers following you. But I thought that was really cool because that really, that fits in with the theme that it's trying to tell you of rejuvenating the world. And just by simply running, Emmy is able to rejuvenate the world just by running, so which I thought was kind of cool. Um, in terms of the combat mechanics, I liked that they kind of do like a like a you know something like a platinum games light type of thing where they rank it where they rank how well you do in the combat. I'm awful at everything that platinum style games where they rank your combat encounters. I Devil May Cry, fucking beautiful Joe, fucking any any games that do that, I am shit at them. I I can't do it. This. I actually like because they don't focus so much on the ranking as much as it's just kind of a, a quick grade to let you know how you did as opposed to being like almost like a primary game mechanic type of thing, at least from what I remember the other games in terms of the the handling. So remember, I played with the Wii, so I had the stick waggle. I had to <laughs> fight by shaking yeah. my hand a whole bunch of times, and it honestly wasn't that bad. Uh, one of the cool things is that there's a bunch of different weapons that you can get. Um, there is, oh my gosh, the divine instruments. You have the reflectors, rosaries, glaives, and I think those are the three main ones. Yeah, um, those are the three ones. Yeah, and you get different up. There's like different reflectors, so some are more powerful and do different things. My honestly, honestly, my favorite ones were the rosaries because same. It like it it hit. It didn't hurt them nearly as much. It would, but it would hit them like six times in a row, and it would stun them a lot more often than what your uh, reflector would do. And with the Wii mode, when you would use the reflector, it would just kind of spin around. You know, you would whip the Wii mode, and it would fling around. But with the rosary, it felt like you were actually doing like a whipping motion because when the rosary hits, you hear like a 
and it like pauses as it's going down. So when you actually do the whipping motion with the Wiimote, it actually feels like you're attacking and it actually kind of worked well with the gameplay. Um, I also really like all the boss fights. I think the boss fights, not all of them, I should say, but the boss fights are varied. The only time I ever really had an issue with it is is the Orochi fight and not because the Orochi fight is bad. It's because they ask you to do this thing three fucking times. And I, I, I yes, I, and it's not like there's any variation between the three times. It's the same fight all three times. They don't really up the difficulty all that much. It's not like it's a harder version or it's not like they change the mechanic up on you or they give Orochi different mechanics that you have to figure out. It's the same thing every goddamn time. So I like the Orochi fight in itself, but it wasn't my favorite after the third time. But yeah, that, I mean, that's just kind of a brief overview of my thoughts in the gameplay. I, I like huh. how the the kinetic motion of running actually makes it feel. Also, with the Celestial Brush, it was very easy. With the Wii, you just, you know, you hit the button. I think it was like B on the Wii mode. It's been a minute. You draw it onto the screen. That was really easy. I like the variety of different abilities the Celestial Brush gives you because it like it changes up the combat and allow they give you enough enemies that are different that requires you to try different things with the celestial brush. You can beat most of them with just your basic weapon, but it is still handy that you can, it's still fun to like figure out different strategies with the celestial brushes as you get new ones, as you get more of them throughout the game. So yeah, the gameplay to me is where this game shines as much as it's too long of a game. And I got tired of it by the end. The combat was always fun for me. So I'm a bit torn on it. Because I think this game is way too easy. Mm. And I think that's just because of the way that you're designed. You're a wolf. And the, the way you attack, it, it can't be too overly complicated with what you might be able to get with a humanoid. Mm. Unless you're making, trying to do some very extravagant things. Even with the celestial brushes, I didn't find myself using the celestial brushes within combat itself unless the game dictated it. Like the celestial brushes were mostly utilized for outside of combat. Mm. That's not to say I didn't find combat fun. I just I wasn't incentivized to fight enemies uh, outside of gaining money. And by the time I like was trying to fight enemies, it just became kind of boring and repetitive. Like I did not look forward to fighting because it was just it's almost like a it, it was too easy a waste of my time. Almost to that point. I agree with you on the fact about the boss battles. I think the boss battles were a little bit more interesting. They're a little bit more fun because you had to engage with the mechanics. But most of the enemies you can just spam attack. And not I I never I hardly ever took damage from a regular enemy encounter until mm. like the very end of the game. And even at that point, learning just that slight idiosyncrasy for that enemy kept me from taking damage there. But other than that, like the, the control is tight. The platforming is tight. The exception of the camera, uh, <laughs> which prevented a lot of my jumps from really landing, like even knowing where that shadow is, especially if you're jumping from behind Amy and moving forward, gauging those jumps, engaging that depth for me was extremely it difficult. Sucked. And I'm glad the game didn't have a lot of those. It sucked. Yes. I'm so <laughs> yeah, glad I sucked. wasn't the only one. So I thought horrible. maybe I was just bad at it. No, it's tough. Trying to nail jumps as Amy is just the worst. Like, especially when you, after you get the wind power and there's that one specific spot in that village where I can't remember the name of it, but when you first get to it, it's the one near the windmill. And it's the canine, canine village. 
Let's yes. say the dark village. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you like get Kusa to that spot where like you can blow the like little streamer thingies up to get up to a chest that's like higher up. I I, I never got that chest. I, I never got the damn chest because I kept going up there time and time again and i would use the wind power and i blow the little wacky wave inflatable waving tube mans and i would try to jump on them and i'd get maybe into two and there was like four and i would fall through the cracks every single time because i could not figure out where i was trying to land it was i i just straight up gave up on it it was so frustrating oh it's and especially the camera doesn't help you either no okay like there are times when the Yes, the yeah. camera. You know what the problem is? It's because they put the camera down at the height of a fucking wolf. That's the <laughs> problem. It's too low. The camera is too low. You can zoom out. It, it, still, like the okay, but from a yeah. game design perspective, when when you have your your main character and you're rigging everything else up and you're putting the camera, you you are intentionally placing the camera at a certain like distance and height to trail behind a third person character. And because it is a wolf that is low to the ground, they decided that they were going to keep the camera relative to the rest of the world, very low to the ground. And so if you don't adjust it manually, it will naturally just slide back down vertically and make it so that it's very difficult to see anything in front of you unless you are constantly yes. re-tilting the camera up to see mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, I constantly had to zoom out. I would I was always amazed how whenever I was having camera problems is because the camera automatically zoomed back in mm-hmm. instead of having the zoomed out view. The zoomed out view was like better for almost the entire game. Uh but that leads into another one of my points I want to see what you all think about. Uh, because I know you're about to go and give your full thoughts here on it, Shane, is the celestial brushes. And and so one good thing about the celestial brush is that there's 13 of them, but they don't make it complicated because so many of them are the same mm-hmm. or similar. The other the bad thing about that is that because they are all relatively the same or similar, there were times that I didn't get it to do exactly what I wanted to do. Or I ended up getting a different result. So for the wind, you kind of draw uh, draw this. Uh, no, I'll say bloom. So what bloom does is that you draw a circle around like a tree and it resurrects the tree. But if you put it, it, it doesn't always work. And if you're pointing up towards the sky with your camera, it will automatically put a sun up there instead of blooming the tree, which will make it daytime. And you don't sometimes you don't want it to be daytime because you have certain advantages between it being in the day Mm -hmm. and night because there's a day and night cycle. So in the nighttime, it reveals where treasures are. You get some uh, side quests that you can do by talking to the villagers and you can fight monsters at night and eradicate them. So you might not want it going to night. And on top of that, there are usually side quests where you have to bloom every fucking tree in an area. So when you're trying to bloom trees, which is a circle, and that's the same thing as drawing a sun in the sky, which is a circle. Sometimes that doesn't input or sometimes you're mm. trying to draw a line from a flower to uh, from a flower to Amy. And you're supposed to go whip up on that vine and it won't register while you're falling into a pit. And you're wondering, like, what am I doing wrong? I don't know. And I didn't know. It just sometimes it didn't take, even though the game's telling me because it has like a little uh, art icon to indicate that it's on there by a bunch of like a green flowers and stuff when you're on the flower and dragging it to Amy with another green flower 
Sometimes it just says, no, no, you can't do that. And we're not going to let you do it. It's like, why? Like, you just said I could do that. The game's like, no, no. It's like, no reason. Uh, And it's like, okay, great. So uh, there are some boss battles where they lasted longer because the game didn't do the input that I wanted to. And because you can only make so many ink inputs at once, you just don't have unlimited ink. Those are what your little ink icons are for. And you can build them up through levels. You can get more if you want to. But once you run out of them, you can't use ink anymore. So you have to be a sitting duck because once you're out of ink, it just everything's cleared and you can't even use your weapon anymore. But if you make if you're trying to like make a strike through and it registers as something else, like drawing a line from fire from a fire location to another fire location, you're trying to do a power slash, it will register as a power slash and drain that ink file from you. So you'll be left with one lower one, which makes those fucking digging little levels, by the way. I know I'm going really long here, Go but those it. digging levels where you have to fucking dig all the way down and they take forever and the people you're digging with are fucking idiots and can't think for themselves and you have to blow them across a spike and then slash rocks and dig rocks out of the way. Those fucking suck because the the entire celestial brush input doesn't always do what you fucking want it to do. And it's just it's incredibly infuriating uh, when it does work. It's great. It's magical. It's it's blessed. But there are just so many instances where I'm like, that is not what I fucking wanted to do game. Why did you do that? Stop doing that. I'll let you take it over from well, here. I was just going to say, you? I think a lot of those complications come from the fact that when you bring out the celestial brush, it like the whole screen goes like grayscale, right? And yeah. then you can draw whatever you want. But effectively, you're t- taking a, a brush that is a 2D mechanic, right? You're drawing onto a piece of paper, sort of, but digitally. But the paper is actually a 3D world. So if you're drawing on a spot, it, the game has to use its internal logic to determine, okay, what did they just draw on? So even though you may have drawn on like a tree or something else, the game may have determined like, well, there's a tree here, but there's also this like other thing that, that could cause fire or like, you know, drag a vine or whatever. It's an anchor, anchor point or something like that, or maybe water spout. Or I don't know what the fuck. Maybe it's one of those, right? But this is also here. So the game has to dictate the logic as to like what takes priority. You know, what has the higher priority in this scenario? What are you more on or off? I don't know how that logic works, mind you. I'm speculating, but it's very clear that it has to make some type of decision as to like what you're intending to do. Because there are so many times where I would like draw a circle and in the middle of a fight, like you said, to like because there's like one enemy, which I actually kind of like where it's like a flower bud and you have to bloom it. So that way it yeah. opens up and then you can go and attack it. And I always thought that that was kind of cool. But if like you said, if you are in the middle of a fight and you're trying to draw on it and you don't quite get like because there is a time limit to use it. So you're rushing and you don't quite get to the bud in time. And you, so you draw the circle as fast as you can, but it's not on the butt all entirely. Then the sun comes out or something like that. So there's yeah. it, it's shit like that where it's it's a really neat idea. But because it's a time mechanic, I actually don't think it would have broken the game if they would have made it maybe like slightly harder. But when you bring in the celestial brush, you can just pause it indefinitely. Instead of holding down a button, you press to activate it, let go, and then it's easier to do. I think. I think that would have been better either that or like make you hold it the whole time. And then that adds to the challenge, but you have as much time as you want to draw the thing. You just pause it. Was it forever? I could have sworn. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was okay. forever. It was for, maybe I did. Maybe it. it wasn't in the Wii version, but I played it on I, the PS4. I think I'm misremembering I, I that. I could have, I could have sworn someone said there was like a time limit, so that's why I was confused at it. No, for the digging sections, oh, okay. there's a time limit, and there's some sections that do have time limits where even when you go into celestial brush mode, the timer time, keeps that going. Must be where even I'm thinking. But yeah, yeah. It, I, it, that I feel like all that frustration though still stems from that it's taking a 2D action and converting it into a 3D plane, and it causes some weird shenanigans to happen. Oh, totally, Shane. Uh, so I actually I want to take the discussion <laughs> back for a second because there was sure. something that you mentioned, Chris, that I wanted to uh, uh, explore a little bit more. I'm interested in you mentioning that the the combat it seemed like you felt like you didn't really have to use the brush all that often or you weren't necessarily incentivized to do so did you try did you try to get the monster fangs at all i tried but they were like incredibly inconsistent but yeah that's where you are incentivized yes i i would agree with that okay yeah because i i mean i i don't know i guess I, i didn't see it as very inconsistent although i will say there were certain enemies where it seemed like it just didn't you just don't get any from for some reason or maybe i maybe i was doing it wrong later in the game like you getting dragon fangs like that and and just so you listener understand what dragon fangs are they're special items that you can trade for even more special items mm-hmm. uh, like artifacts that make the game like awesome uh if you get buy the right ones anyway i mean there's also abilities that you can have amaterasu piss on an enemy and you get dragon fangs automatically <laughs> but like later later in the game like what what Shane is talking about here, you get their health low and then they get stunned and they go up in the air and then you can hold down your celestial brush and deliver the final blow, which cuts them in half and releases a dragon fang. And that's what happens with a lot of the early enemies. Yeah. Later in the game, that doesn't happen anymore. Like mm. they stop dropping them. Interesting. So it's almost like you have to farm them like ahead of time. Yeah. Mm. Okay. You can always go back too. that's yeah. the other thing. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. I haven't really talked much about the the gameplay necessarily yet. Overall, I I really did enjoy the the gameplay experience for, for you know the the section that I did play. I do have some gripes, and I think I've already kind of highlighted those. A lot of it had to do with the very imprecise jumping, which <laughs> in part was due to the kind of bad camera. It wasn't always terrible, but it's not great. It's it's not great. Um, I felt like there were a lot of times where I had to fight the camera in order to see what I needed to see. But from just a, a core like gameplay mechanics perspective, I really did like a lot of what was going on here. I, I do find it interesting that you both agreed that you liked the the beads weapons more because I tried to like those and it just didn't vibe with me like how. Amy kind of almost gets pseudo rooted in place when you do a longer like attack, like when you when you whip it out and hold it to like get the the multi hit going. You're whip those beads almost out. kind of stuck. It, that's right. You just rip them right out. Anal beads. You're just kind of like stuck in <laughs> place. And to me, I did not like how that felt. Um, I actually ended up just sticking with the 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 shield ones or whatever. Because I that felt a lot more fluid to me. Like I can run up to an enemy. I can do like a four or five hit combo because the combo increases once you get a little bit further in there. So you can basically do like I think it's four or five hits in a row, and then kind of like dip, duck, dive, dodge your way out if need be, and then go in and do another four or five hit combo. 
And that to me felt a lot more fluid than trying to do the, the whip style attacks. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that I think we, we had very different takes on that particular piece, but by and large. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is it, it's sort of inevitable. And also I was looking while we, while you guys were talking and I didn't really realize this, but it seems like it makes it an even more salient point that twilight princess and this game came out in the same year. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting because uh, I like right off the get, that's the only thing I could think of is I was like, oh, this game is trying to be Twilight Princess if you are Wolf Link all the time. Got it. And, you know, that's fine. Um, I think for the most part, it works well enough. The running mechanic I did like, and Josh, I know you were mentioning that, and I do like the visual effect that comes along with mm-hmm. it. I will say that I wasn't a huge fan of the ramp up time, though, on on the speed. It, it felt so, you almost feel like you're sluggish every time you're trying to like kind of get started and you can circumvent that a little bit because if you do your little dash mm-hmm. with your attack button, it basically automatically bumps you to like the first stage of your like speed up. So that helps a little bit, um, but it always felt like I was like dragging myself to get to that speed um, every time I was trying to like traverse a larger area. Um, I don't know if that was just me, but no, same, especially there, there were, uh, more momentum based physics because if you were going up steps, it would also drag mm-hmm. like you would slow down if you're on an, on an incline, which was also kind of irritating until you got to your, like your final dash form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but all that being said, I, I like I said, I think for the most part with uh, those few sort of outliers aside i i did really enjoy the the core gameplay mechanics i i actually really liked the brush mechanic i thought i wasn't going to initially because it seemed like it was like oh this is some gimmicky bullshit um but i think they actually integrated it well enough and chris i think you made a really good point even though sometimes it can be a little iffy on whether it registers exactly what you were intending to do but I think it was a really smart design decision to narrow down the types of brush strokes to like only a few and have them be multi-purpose like contextually. I think that was a really, really intelligent move on their part because I would not want to try to remember 13 different unique brush strokes. Mm-hmm. No, no. That's why I said that's one of the good aspects about the brush strokes is that they they did make it contextual, that they did have that they were so similar and essentially the same across so many different abilities. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. It's just sometimes it can, it can muddle things a little bit and put you at a disadvantage because the game just decides that's what it's going to do. And and the other thing I just thought about it again with the parallels between this game and twilight princess, because you were talking about how the, the battles almost feel pseudo RPG ish in that you sort of like encounter something on a map and then you are in this, almost separate you know area an arena for, for the battle specifically yeah exactly mm-hmm. that's exactly the same shit that happens in twilight princess too i had to think about it for a second but the 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 like the darkness creatures or whatever when they like drop the shit from the sky and pen you into an arena and you have to defeat them before you can escape it it's literally the same thing yeah huh i haven't played twilight princess in a long time so i need to check that out too that's interesting I had uh, two things to, to talk about the gameplay quick that I just that just popped in my head. One, 
Chris, as an avowed Zelda hater, what did this? Yeah. Did, the, did the Zelda aspects turn you off from this game, or did you not really see the things in Zelda that you that you dislike in this game? I I didn't really see a lot of Zelda stuff. I mean, I understand that there are definitely similarities, mm-hmm. but I didn't think they overlapped too much because in a Zelda game, I feel like the ability you learn in the dungeon is completely over dependent in the modern Zelda game. Well, more modern, mm-hmm. not like breath of the wild, the abilities you would learn or the item you would get, it would be way too dependent on how you defeat that boss. I think there was more variety in terms of bosses in Okami and just getting through a level was more varied where, yeah, you did have to know the full gamut of your abilities and what they provided, especially when it came to like the final boss and how you took down yeah. that you had to know, you had to know everything that you're supposed to do even with the second to last boss, the penultimate boss, the owls, you, you had to have a firm grasp on what you were supposed to do as well. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily 100% the case with Zelda. And that actually brings me to the second thing I want to bring up was just without because there's there's a lot of bosses in this game. I we don't we would be here all day talking about all the different bosses. But I was curious, like what each right. of your favorite bosses were like. I personally, I'm torn between either the final boss or actually the spider queen. I actually really enjoyed the spider queen who has like the she's the one where you have to use the vines to connect to the to her the back of her. So that way it like upends her so that way you could go in and attack her eight eyes and stuff like that. I thought that fight was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and the final boss, too. I like the boss that where you have to slow down time mm. and knock his sword out. Yeah. I thought that was a clever mechanic. I think that that was one of my favorite bosses, uh, just because I think that one required just a little bit more skill than the rest. Aside from the final boss, I really did like the final boss, but I did think that the final boss just took too long to kill. Yeah, I think if they shortened it a little bit, that would have taken the cake because it does say you have to know everything that you're supposed to do here. And they piecemeal it back to you, too, in that final boss. They do. They do. And they don't tell you exactly how you're supposed to do it. And it even uses the rejuvenation ability, which I think is very underutilized throughout the game because like the, the boss will make holes in the floor. And how do you fix those holes with your rejuvenation brush, mm-hmm. which is something you don't get an opportunity to use. I don't think really in any boss fight consistently throughout the game. So yeah, that the final boss really does a really decent job of exploring what you have learned throughout the, the duration of your journey, which I am definitely appreciative of. Honestly, I was actually going to say the 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 spider queen one. I actually really liked the mechanics of that fight. It worked really well. It allowed you to use the the celestial brush in like a meaningful way and overall, I thought it was a really well-designed fight. And plus I just thought the 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 monster design itself was also pretty badass. So, I uh her face is terrifying. I, I really liked that one. It sort of gave me pseudo like Quaylog vibes almost, but no. The thing is, it <sighs> I kind of liked the Orochi fight. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I like the fight, too. It just it happens too many times. <laughs> After well, the third time, I didn't care anymore. And that's the same <laughs> with the Spider Queen. You fight that thing four times. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that's I think that's a fair assessment. Although I again, I did. I did actually really like the mechanics that were involved of like the fact that each of his heads was a different like elemental ability or something. And so you had to figure out how to deal with each one of those. And then also like doing the, what was it? Eight something sake, eight purification sake. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Eight purification. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like using that with your, your brush to like basically get 
all eight of the heads drunk and then fight them. Like, I don't know. I, overall, I thought it was pretty cool. Probably could have, uh, much like the rest of this game, could have used a little less of it because I think you're both correct in that it also went on for a little too long and there wasn't enough variation to make it interesting, really. But like the core mechanic of it and, and the design of Orochi, I thought was pretty cool. Agreed. Really quick before we move forward at all on this, I just wanted to say how I do like the level up system oh, and, yeah. and how you gain experience from that, which you gain your experience from praise, which you can get through reviving an area, which is really cool, which is a core mechanic we need to talk about every single time you get to a new area. You have to figure out how to revive it. And most of that is through blooming the cherry blossom that mm-hmm. you do in the very first area of the game, even though for some reason it's not Sakia anymore. I, I don't know why. Yeah, that's weird. It's weird. But you get praise from that. You also get praise from feeding animals, which is annoying, but necessary. <laughs> you get praise from blooming trees and uh, doing side quests. And you can take that praise and you can either upgrade your health. You can upgrade the amount of ink blots that you have that you can use uh, before you run out of ink. You can upgrade your get another astral pouch. I want to say upgrade. You get another astral pouch, which is essentially your extra life system. Mm. And then you can also upgrade your money pouch, which you don't really have to do from my experience because I never, ever had enough money, it seemed like, at any given point. And all that did was just add an extra zero, which I found pretty much purposeless because I never had the money. And then when I beat the game, it says, like, you collected a lot of money. It's like, really? Because I didn't fucking feel like it. I never had the money I needed to buy all the weapons or anything. What did you what did you spend your money on? Oh, later, later, like weapons cost like 200,000, 300,000, 500,000 mm. yen. That's okay. a lot of money. Yeah. And like you get gold dust, which upgrades your weapons and those can cost 20 or 30,000 a pop too. Mm-hmm. Not to mention there's just, just other items you need to buy for the plot that you need to have that cost a lot of money. And it just, it's like a never ending sinkhole. It's almost like taxes. This never go away. <laughs> sucks i do like how they leveled up i do like the store mechanic i do like the fact that you're you could upgrade amaterasu throughout that it was almost like an rpg in in that sense that there were a lot of those mechanics present those were highly addictive i did like the side quests when they are a little bit more involved like the going to the little girl who was print uh painting in the capital you get that when you go into the i think the oni dungeon or one of the dungeons where you have to paint a it was the Orochi dungeon. You have to paint uh, something on your face. I drew a cock and balls. And so there's yes. cock and balls. So did I. <laughs> I think I did too. You're running around We're with a children. dick and nuts on your face the whole time. <laughs> yep. It was great. So what happens, you get to the capital city, Shane, because you didn't make it there. I did There's not. this little girl there's, oh. who's, a, who's a painter. <laughs> I remember this And <laughs> she puts the paintings all over the walls in the city. So I'm running through the city. I'm like, why is there a dick on every single wall on the city? I'm like, oh, that's the dick I drew. And who's drawing it? Oh, it's a little girl. Oh, this is awesome. I just, I, oh God, I love, I love the fact, like they had to know, right? They had to know that people were going to do that. And I love that fact that they were just like, oh yeah, no, you're not just going to get like the mask from the little enemy guys and put it on so you can blend in, even though that's super stupid because you're a wolf, but like, no, no, you, that you have a brush. Why not let the player draw on it? Give them agency. And it's like, okay, clearly 80% of the people playing this game are going to draw a big dick on this thing. And that's exactly what happened. 
Dude, talk about a memory unlock because I did the same thing. I drew a cock and balls. I'm like, oh, it's funny. I'm just being, I'm, what a childish joke. And then it comes back to bite me in the ass later on the game where there's a little girl just drawing it all over the city. I, <laughs> I was lost. <laughs> I felt like simultaneously mad at myself, but also proud. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my masterpiece. It's on every single wall. Now everyone can see this pair of cock and balls. <laughs> oh god yeah I, I i'm gonna that's i think that was unironically my favorite part of this game actually <laughs> oh i forgot all oh, about that man okay so aside from that though i'm actually glad that you mentioned it and i know we're obviously because we usually do go a little bit long on this section but I, i'm glad that you brought up the part about like the rejuvenation and stuff because that was super satisfying i really really liked rejuvenating like the the saplings of the tree and then that like cutscene you get where all of the the flowers and the grass and everything just like explodes out from it and just covers so the cool. area oh it's so good and yeah i really like the the praise mechanic with that of using the celestial brush to basically bring the world back to life like rejuvenating the the cherry trees and little clovers and all of that stuff and that's how you gain your experience rather than through like combat i thought that was a really neat take on that um so i yeah i definitely appreciated how that was implemented also capcom fans keep a close eye out for references to other franchises i know i at least caught one to street fighter 2 and or super street fighter 2 i should say and one to uh beautiful joe which was in that city was with the painting girl so there's there's quite a few there and the fact that you're like uplifting clovers to get praise because you have to dig them up. Uh, that is definitely a shout out to the studio. Mm-hmm. That is not a coincidence. So there's there's all sorts of little references. It's very self-referential, especially for Clover and Capcom. And I, I really like that since it is all part, all part of rejuvenating the world, it once again ties back into the story and theme of the game. I'm, I'm a big fan when a game can marry gameplay mechanics to story. It's not always necessary. You know, not every game needs to do that, but I'm always appreciative when they're able to find a way to do that. And I mentioned before when Amaterasu is running, it kind of simu- it kind of goes into that. But the actual act of the way you get experience is by rejuvenating the world, which is the whole purpose of Amaterasu's mission. It like or like objective. It just it's a really nice feedback loop that it reinforces. You know, like you are rejuvenating this world from darkness. It's really cool. Absolutely, yeah, yeah for sure. I think that's a good segue into how this game looks because that's part of that visual appeal is when that game goes from being dark into a much more brighter, much more colorful environment. And this was one of the hallmarks of the game when it came out for the PS2. So I guess this is going to be more of a question whether or not Ev has it held up into the modern era, especially with a lot of other games taking this design philosophy, um, especially with the HD versions maybe upgrading a little bit. I don't know if you played the up to, uh, the HD version since playing the Wii version there, Josh, because I did notice there's quite a few differences in how the game was presented. But I'll just cut the shit and just say, what did we think about the game's graphical presentation? Shane, go ahead and kick this one off. I thought it was awesome. Um, I think it still holds mm-hmm. up really well. I, I will say, and I don't know, somebody who played the, the the OG can maybe keep me honest on this. I don't know if this was an addition to the HD version or not, but the I think the one detractor is that I think the stylization can be a bit too much at times and there was an option in the settings to actually reduce the amount of like s- 
stylizing that is occurring on like the the character models and and the terrain and everything. Do you guys know if that was an original feature or was that like an HD edition? Do we know? Oh, I have no idea. I'm not really sure because I haven't really looked at the HD edition. Gotcha. Okay. Well, like I said, I played the HD version and that was there. So I didn't know if that was something new that was added, but I did appreciate its inclusion one way or the other because I did. I knocked it down one notch. There's I think there's like three different levels where it's like almost like off and then light and then sort of like normal, like normal slash heavy. I knocked it down to light and I think that was like a good sweet spot because like on its own by default i think the stylizing is a little almost a little too much Mm. um where you get like those really really thick black outlines and all that stuff and it's it's a little overbearing so scaling it back a little bit i think worked really well for me but overall i think the the general design aesthetic i really appreciate i always give credit where it's due to games that pick a distinctive art style and then just stick with it um and this game definitely does that and and in no small part i think because of that i think graphically it still does hold up very well i mean obviously i played the hd version but even without that i think just artistically i think the game still looks really good Mm. josh i'm with you i think this is actually one of the most beautiful games i've played I think it, the art style is stunning. There's a couple times you can kind of see between the like you can it it almost was might have been a little too cutting edge for the time because of how stylized everything was because there's moments I'm not saying this as a negative it's just some you know something I noticed where like you could see the see the seams as it were because you'll be running up to a tree and all of a sudden the tree seems to be it was very clearly the tree was a 2D plane that was programmed to constantly be facing you. So that way mm. you would like run around it and it would just like turn awkwardly and it it would look a little weird at times. But other than that, and that that's, it's not even really a criticism. It's just kind of an observation more than anything. Like it didn't ruin anything for me. It didn't take me out of the experience because the whole thing is supposed to be this piece of art that you're, that you're playing through like Yukio art. Is that the proper term? How it was termed what I saw was Sumi-e. Sumi-e. Okay. It's stunning. It really is. And it's super colorful and vivid. I would say the only real criticism I had on the Wii version, I don't know if it's the same on the on the PS2. I didn't see it on the HD remake because obviously the HD remake really kind of cleans up a lot of the, the lines with it. It was a little fuzzy. Like it wasn't like, you know, like how people say N64 graphics are a little fuzzy. It wasn't quite yeah. that level of fuzz, but it was a little bit of fuzziness to it. So other than that, it, I, and I didn't mind it, but it did. There's a couple of moments where I'm like, man, I wish this was like crisp, like these crisp brush strokes. But other than that, it's just an absolutely beautiful game. I, 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 I can't say enough kind things about how it looks. Yeah, I'm just I would just echo what both of you would say. It looks phenomenal. The only thing I'm going to add here really is that i wish i had played this when it came out on the ps2 Mm. so i could fully appreciate it like when it came out back in 2006 because we are so far removed from it i i think that with this being one of the game's primary draws having that sort of appreciation for exactly what this game did artistically in terms of its visual presentation was so important and and such a key element to what this game is that 
coming to it so many years after the fact on more powerful hardware when there's been so many other games that I, I do think have taken that idea and advanced it and made things look better over the years. And it, that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. I really wish I had experienced this as it was new, because I think that would have been an amazingly impressive experience that that would have really gotten to anyone who played it at the time and making them see this just visual feast for the eyes. I think that's what would have happened. But I'll I'll never know because I didn't play this in 2006. It was not new to me. But aside from that, yeah, it's it's more of a stylistic choice. And does that style hold up overall towards the general themes? And I would say 100 percent it does. Mm -hmm. Um, this this game again, as we mentioned, the plot story is very much seeped in Japanese lore, and this game does a really good job of you know representing that. Whether or not you get that in these scenes where after you get an en- enemy introduced, they show those those scrolls yeah. that open up, and you see the, the the more traditional Japanese style of of painting and art style that that they had that you get from the historical Japanese perspective. And how that translated into what they had in the game. You might say it's a little cartoonish, but I actually found it very fun. Uh, I actually found it very good and very unique and something that uh, was very, very well implemented into the overall world. And without making it feel too cartoony or unserious, because this game does have some heavy themes and I wasn't too distracted from it. And this is something like I've kind of knocked on. Final Fantasy nine about how the graphical style just doesn't jive with me because it gets into the very cartoony element of it. And Okami does kind of the same thing, but I think Okami just just does it better. Maybe it's the cell shading. Maybe I'm just a sucker for cell shading and that's all it It really is. But I think there's a lot to be said there because cell shading does definitely hold up. It could also be with Final Nine. Now, I I actually like Final Nine's visuals, but Final Nine has cartoony character visuals on top of semi-realistic backdrops. So there might be a little bit of like dis like dissonance between yeah. the two, like visual dissonance yeah. versus Okami. Everything is this unified theme throughout the whole thing, um, and it just it all fits. It does. It's a very much like it's a, a it's a canvas. The entire world is a canvas. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you take the concepts of like a Paper Mario and you make it a fully 3D Paper Mario with just an enhanced art style, not to shit on like Paper Mario saying it's a bad art style, but like a more enhanced, more developed, more complex mm-hmm. art style. This, that's what you get with, uh, with Okami and that's what makes it special. So one more section to get into before we get to our patron pontifications, and that is the music and sound design. I'll kick this one off here and... There are some really good songs here. There's this is not a catchy soundtrack. We're just starting off with the soundtrack here, but there are some like Ryoshima Coast, where you spend a lot of your time actually in the second half of the game, that really has some good songs. Aside from that, there's there's a few bops or whatever, but it's very atmospheric mm-hmm. in that that those songs are very sweeping. There are quite a few what you know you would stereotypically associate with the uh, typical Japanese style music and instrumentation and composition i think that the music has an opportunity to be very beautiful i do think there it could be a little bit more varied there is a track that plays every single time like a a heroic moment shows up that happened with like the canine warriors i was like oh wow this is really cool and then they kept using that track over and over (laughs) and over and over and over again throughout the game like okay i it's a good track it sounds really good it sounds like really inspiring but this is the same track you're using for dogs that decided you had to go find in a fetch quest. 
I, I'm a little uh, I'm a little uninspired by this point, uh, to be completely honest. Deadbeat dogs, I might add. Deadbeat dogs. Yes, they are the heroes. Other than that, sound design, I think, is just you know, normal sound design. I think it's perfectly fine, except for Simlish. Fuck Simlish. I hate the Sims. I've been on record <laughs> as saying I hate the Sims. I'm going to keep that ongoing. Why is it Simlish? Well, probably helped with localization, probably helped with a lot of things. But why? I, I'm i just assuming it was, a, it. it was a budgetary thing, so we didn't have to have voice actors. That's a lot cheaper. Yeah, probably. Way cheaper. Especially with 1,500 pages of script. And over yeah. 70 plus characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just hire, just hire like one person to do 10 voices. <laughs> there you go. It's happened before. That, that's pretty much I have all on the sound. Uh, Shane, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, I think for the most part I'm in agreement. I, th- I think the, the sound, the OST itself is, is pretty solid. Um, it's not necessarily a lot of like standouts, but in this particular case, I don't think there has to be. I think it's much more of a, an ambient kind of thing. Um, and, and the style is obviously very tonally consistent throughout. Um, like you said, with the much more traditional Japanese styling. And I think that's done very well. Um, I, I did want to point out that again, in sort of like the, the, the parallels in my brain that were being drawn between this game and, and like something like twilight princess or really just Zelda in general, while I do like Isun's theme, it it sounds like a shop theme from like Ocarina of Time. Like I can't get that mm. out of my head. But no, no, overall I think it's really well done. Um the sound design itself I thought was also super solid. Everything sounds really satisfying. I'm not a huge fan of the Simlish thing either, but it also didn't really bother me. It was just kind of a nothing burger for me. It was like whatever. It's there, it's it's fine. Um I don't really care one way or the other. Uh, but I, I think the rest of it was very well done. The issue is, and we've done this before. Th- my issue is, is that I'm struggling to find something like in particular to talk about. And it's <laughs> not because it's not because it's bad. It's just because everything is just, it's well done. It's competently executed, but there's just nothing in my mind that really stands out. Well, I think that, I mean, it's a hallmark in all honesty that it's the idea, you know, like if you don't good sound design and good, good sound design is when you don't notice it, you know, a game has good sound design when it doesn't stick out to you, which sucks because that means unless you are knowledgeable on the subject, it makes it very hard to speak about it in any length. And I am not knowledgeable on the subject. So I, it's not even like I'm setting myself up for some like, smart rant about the sound effects <laughs> I was say, like, what, are, what are you trying to say josh yeah you're dumb that's what i'm just gonna know i do not know shit about music i will say i good sound design means you don't always notice it and that's not necessarily a bad thing it's not bad that you can't comment on it much because that means it did it, it did its job yeah no i think that's totally fair i i guess what i was getting at with that is that there are there are other times where there's like there's certain things that are not even not bad, like things that are good that really stand out as being like, Hey, this was particularly well done and I wanted to highlight it. And I guess that's the thing I'm struggling with here is that I didn't really have anything that struck me. Like when I was playing a, where I was just like, Oh man, like that's a great track or, Oh, this, this sound is so well done or 
because we've had plenty of instances of that over the over the years on the show and i just don't have that for this game but again like you said it's a great point is like that's not inherently bad like i think it, it was very very well done it's just i don't have any like particular things to talk about <laughs> i feel you on that what about yourself what are you feeling on the sound speaking of feeling there josh I mean, I can echo a lot of the stuff that you guys said. I would say what I could add to it is the end, like the, the credits song is like a kind of catchy J-pop song. I couldn't tell you much about it because it's not like I've only I played the game to completion for the first time like four years ago, four or five years ago. And like I said at the beginning, I only played enough to refresh myself. I'm not playing through another 30 plus hour playthrough of this game i enjoyed it but not enough to to do a full replay of it not j-pop in the ps4 by the way is it not i don't even know if it's technically j-pop in this i don't know if that's a proper proper genre but i don't know i the music's just k-pop is it i'm just i don't have no idea i was just making a joke (laughs) Uh, the no i mean the the music had gets you to feel emotions at the times that it's supposed to specifically like the spirit bomb thing it's got that really sweeping like really big like look everyone's pulling together for for amy we're all doing this together and all the people that you helped and it's cool because it does actually at least um tie in all the like and all the characters that i like complained about before that there's too many they all come back and it's actually worked well into the story through this spirit bomb scene it actually gives importance to everything you did prior even if i can't remember 90 percent of it because there's too many fucking characters <laughs> It right. still is important. It still works its way into it. So I like the music in that moment. Um, just in general, just the the way it transitions from battle to just exploration is really cool. The music stings they use for that is really effective. Just in general, like the the music fits the vibe of the game overall and its visuals, and it's worth it. It's a good soundtrack overall. Like it, in prepping for this episode, it's something that I've now want to listen to more of but yeah it's a great soundtrack it's it's got great music it's it's uh it's beautiful all right so i guess that wraps up our primary discussion and we are going to move into our patron pontifications uh how can you get your pontifications read over here on one of our episodes well that's easy just head on over to our link tree find our patreon link which is also patreon.com slash retro hangover and for as little as one dollar a month you can join our Patreon, and if you head on over to Discord, that's where the section is. It says Patreon Pontifications. So just go ahead and give your thoughts on the upcoming game, which these following patrons did over there. I will kick this one off, and the first one is from Matt, aka Stormageddon, from the Fun and Games podcast, Screen Snark and Reignite. And Matt says. I didn't get around to playing this till it was ported to the Nintendo Switch in 2018. There you go. There's your year, Shane. But I loved every second of it. Amaterasu is absolutely adorable, and it's easily one of the strongest and most original Zelda likes to come out. The paintbrush aesthetic is also gorgeous. I 100% mm-hmm. agree with you, Matt. The, the Zelda-like thing specifically, I think, is really... Uh, it, it's hard to find good Zelda-likes, and this is one of the better ones. Agree. Mm, yeah. All right. Uh, next up, we have the one and only Discimera from the YouTube channel Game Over Hell. And he says, always wanted to play Okami, but that Asun guy always sounded completely insufferable every time I see someone stream the game. <laughs> Maybe I should check if someone made a shut the hell up Asun mod of some sort. 
he is extremely annoying in the beginning of the game. That is 100% true. Mm, so much talking. Yes. Your tolerance for as soon is, is going to vary from person to yeah, person. Say, if, if, you, if you couldn't stand Navi, you probably won't like as soon. No. Hey, Josh, want to read the next one? Sure. Yep. This is from Adam from the Good, the Bad, and the Backlog podcast. Okami is a visually stunning slog that greatly overstays its welcome and has some of the most tedious and long dialogue I've ever experienced. It's like every character is trying to deliver a TED talk and that stupid cricket sidekick thing is like Navi's crackhead cousin you get stuck sitting next to on the on a long bus trip. Fuck that game. <laughs> <laughs> I have to assume Adam's not a fan. Is that what I'm I'm a, I, I, other I'm than thinking, the I don't know. It was, it was unclear. Other than the visually stunning, I don't know if there was another compliment in that little write-in. <laughs> All right, next is Soha, who has a Twitch and YouTube channel that is Soha Y0. Soha says, I played Okami for the first time when the HD version released on Steam. It starts really slow, but it starts picking up the pace around the moment you revive the first tree. It really is like Zelda in more ways than one, but it manages to do a couple things of its own that makes it a worthwhile endeavor. I particularly like how the combat flow with mixing normal attacks with the celestial brush, and I just like being a wolf, goddammit. <laughs> Let me pee and poo on all the enemies I want. That is a real mechanic, by the way. I mentioned pee. You can also poo on them. Bark, bark. Also, did you know Okami means both great god and wolf in Japanese? This is your Doki Doki fact for this episode. See you next time. Yes, Okami does mean great wolf and great or does mean wolf and great god in Japanese. That's very true. Very apt title. They were smart. All right. Well, next we have the emperor who says the emperor has never played it. Thank you. <laughs> Up next is alt alt writes. I don't believe I made it past the multiple hour intro in Okami. It was basically wolf mode, like, it is a long intro. It is a very long intro. We probably shouldn't say alt-rights. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, continue. I, Ashen, I don't know if you want to edit that out. I'll leave it up to Chris and Shane's discretion. <laughs> Keep it in! Oh, God. Alt, uh, uh commented says alt says yeah <laughs> i don't believe i made it past the multiple hour intro in okami it was basically wolf mode link all game with some awkward painting controls that possibly plays best on wii and the and the nintendo ds okami den game with the silas it's a beautiful looking game but i have not had a chance to revisit it since the ps2 days i see a lot of love for it but having to replay that intro segment wards me off I mean, if that wards you off, then it is a long maybe intro. Maybe stay away. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. It is kind of a long intro, but I mean, that's kind of it is setting you up for, you know, what it is. <laughs> Dave Jackson from Tales from the Backlog podcast. Hi, Dave. Says that I always admired Okami's art style, but never owned a platform it was on until the Switch remaster came out. I'm a fan of Zelda-ish games, and despite soon being annoying little <laughs> shit, I enjoyed the gameplay, Japanese mythological setting, and of course, art a lot. And then I reached the end of the game, <laughs> and it just kept on going, and going, and going. It's a good game, but has no business being 40 hours long, and unfortunately suffers for it. Mm -hmm. Highly agree, highly agree. All right, next on the list, we have Storm Beagle from the Retrotopia podcast, who says, 
I'd never heard of this, but the art style looks incredible. These comparisons to Zelda are also getting my attention. Looks like there's an HD version on the Switch. I am looking forward to hearing your review and maybe trying this one out for myself. I, you maybe don't, aren't going to do that after this. I don't know. We'll see. I hope we, don't, <laughs> we didn't scare him off from it. It's not an awful game. No, it's not at all. From Tony G. I won the poll with this game, so I feel like I should comment. I have found that I have a real soft spot for any Zelda-like. I'm sure some stuff was lost in translation or just missed due to cultural differences, but playing it made me feel like I was a kid listening to Greek myths for the first time. Also, it's got a dog. What's not to love? Pause for some ironic silence or game praise. I read the stage direction, I know, but fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) If you loved this game, I accept your thanks and monetary cash value gifts. If you hated it, please draw a picture of a sad dick track and then cram it up your Sasano no-no hole. (laughs) I mean, we all drew dicks in this game, so it's kind of fitting. That's, yeah, it's valid. So, so the reason it says pause for ironic silence or game praise is because Tony G is a canine handler in real life. Oh, yeah. There we go. He works with dogs professionally. That is his job. So there you go. That is the sage wisdom from our patrons. Uh, especially the Emperor. Thank you, Emperor, uh, that you have not played it. <laughs> Very sweet and short and to the point. So I guess this is the time where we talk about whether or not this game holds up today. As is tradition, me and Shane will go first and our guest will have the final word. And I will kick this one off as whether or not this game holds up today. I am going to say. Yeah, but know what you're getting into before you get into it. I think. This this game can be a, a little much. It's very repetitive. You do the same thing pretty much over and over again as you go to the next town. I know that's that's kind of an RPG slash Zelda mechanic, especially like later Zeldas in a way. But like the gameplay is solid. The art style is solid. And if you segment it like we have been talking about, if you play at least play the first 15 hours and then give it a little bit of a break and get back to it, like get to that part where after you beat Orochi, and then like take a month off and then get back to it. I think this game would be better played and is better suited to be played in that manner. But I can't sit here and say the game doesn't hold up. I think it holds up rather well. Actually, it has its biggest flaw is that it's too long and it drags. That's its biggest problem. But aside from that, it's a perfectly serviceable game that I think most people would enjoy, especially if you are a fan of Zelda. Because I do think it's a Zelda light at heart. I don't think, once again, it's a one-to-one. But it does have a lot of elements that if you do like the Zelda franchise, I think you're going to have a blast here. I know a lot of people thought I was going to hate this game coming into it. I actually loved it quite a bit. Mostly because of the Japanese mythology and folklore that's implemented into the game's plot. And just the overall, I don't know, just me just weaving out to it. The, the Japanese aesthetic that's in between the levels, that old-style painting. And just seeing like little translation differences in those where that's where I learned that Nagi was Izanagi. I didn't know I picked that up earlier because that was in that painting and then how the katakana is written and the little stories that are going on within there as well. So, yeah, definitely give it a look. If you love Japanese mythology, do it. If you like Zelda, play it. But I think just even if you don't, I think this game will be something that you should at least give a look. How about yourself, Shane? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure I have a lot more to add to that. I almost unilaterally agree with I think everything you just said. I do think that it holds up. 
especially with the the nice shiny HD version, there's really no excuse not to to give it a try, especially if you are a fan of of Zelda style games. Uh, I should say the 3D Zeldas specifically, but I think the only place that I would differ is like, I just don't even know. I mean, if you're super vested in it, then knock yourself out. Like, I'm not going to say don't do it, but I, I have a really hard time recommending anything past that first, like third of the game. Like I just feel, I know there's stuff after that and I know that it's, it's not bad content. I just, it narratively it's hard to maintain the motivation to continue and that's where like i said way back at the beginning of the episode this all stems from is that you're going to feel like you've reached a natural conclusion after the orochi fight and at least for me it was very very difficult to find that motivation to want to continue exploring the game because it didn't feel like there was enough there 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 wasn't enough of a you know, that carrot on a stick being dangled in front of me to say like, Hey, you should go check out more. Like, it's just, I felt good. Like I was, I was good. I was like, all right, I, I got what I wanted from this. And I, I guess even if that's the only thing you do, I genuinely did enjoy my time with it. I, I do like 3d Zelda like games. And so <laughs> this is very much that. And I think what it does different from that is unique enough that it is interesting. The art style's fantastic. I actually do really like the the celestial brush mechanic. So it's got a lot going for it. But like we said, the the biggest detractor is that it's it's just it's too much and and it drags too hard to to really recommend playing it and seeing it through to completion. So does it hold up? Yes. Um is it something that I would recommend you stick to for the whole 40 plus hours? Not necessarily, especially when we're in this day and age where we're not, you know, kids sitting down with half a dozen games to our name and we have to pick one and stick with it and play with it. Like we we live in a time where the vast majority of us have more games than we know what to even do with. And so asking somebody to stick to a game for tens of hours when it's really just not that engaging or there's not enough there to really warrant wanting to see the rest of it nowadays that's a big ask and so i don't know if i could like in good faith do that but if you want to check it out see what it has to offer and at the very least get through that first you know narrative story arc and get to the conclusion of the orochi thing then i think it's a good a good like 14 ish hour experience all right, Josh, finish this off here and uh, make this the happy ending. All right. Well, uh, the happiest ending, of course, is that all three of us agree. And I do mm. agree this game still holds up today. I won't go on too long because I feel like I've already talked enough in this episode, but it holds up. The only real criticism is what both Shane and Chris said. It's it's its length. And I can't say that it doesn't hold up because of that because there's games that come out now that are too fucking long mm-hmm. that go on for longer than they need to so you know what it is it i consider it a flaw and the gameplay is repetitive but if you like it enough it as with any gameplay that could have repetitive mechanics or whatnot like if that mechanic speaks to you you're going to end up liking it regardless of how long it is so it's it holds up today the mechanics still feel good to even on the wii it's it's fun to control there's enough variety in the bosses. The story, as much as it goes on too long, 
is varied enough to keep you going, even if I can't remember half the characters from the second for the last two thirds of it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed my time with this game when I played it. I enjoyed getting to revisit it for this episode, and it was kind of fun to dive back into this world of Japanese mythology. So yeah, it holds up today. All right, that's three for three. Thank you so much, Josh, uh, for coming on this episode and, and giving your opinion on that. I just want to say really quick before we officially wrap this one up, Shane, when you said this game drags hard, I just thought of Amaterasu dragging her ass across the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an just any dog visual, honestly. So, yeah. <laughs> Get checked for worms. No. Um, oh, but yeah, that does wrap up our episode proper. For the day, uh, as I already said, and I will say again, thank you, Josh, for stopping by. Thank you. For it's always me. great when I get to have a recording session with you. I don't think I've had one with you personally in, in quite some time. So, yes, it's it's great to to talk to you in this sort of format and, and great to have you back, man. Thank you for having me on again. I've been wanting to come on for a while, but like I always forget, like you guys kind of have like a list of things that you're looking for people to cover. And I'm like, oh, I should probably look at that from time to time. And so when this came up, I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, I've played this game. I can do this one. So I was I was looking for an excuse to come back on. And you all have all your listeners have now suffered for it. So thank you for having me back. on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, suffered at this from point, bliss. Yeah, I was going to say, listen, if, if they've been listening to us, then they're they're choosing suffering, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> So before we before we go here, how about you let people know where to find you on the Internet and what you're doing out there? Yeah. So the Still Loading podcast is uh, my show. It's been going on. Actually, I have to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do for this, but it's the 10th anniversary later this year. Um, I just had episode 300 a couple weeks ago. I don't know when this comes out, but it'll be a couple weeks ago after this comes out, I'm assuming. That one was really fun. Uh, that was a Super Mario Fantasy draft, which had guests from this from this show. Keith from the main quest was on it. Matt from Fun and Games, Diamond Fight from Retronauts, Try from My Life in Gaming. They all were on it, and they uh, dra- tried to draft their ideal uh, Super Mario game. Um, so that was really fun, and it's Mario Month over on my show. In fact, if this episode is coming out this Sunday, then that means later on today, uh, my episode on Mario Kart 64 is dropping. Uh, I'm covering all the, a bunch of Mario Kart games this month, and that's all that I got going on in March. And I already have, I guess, the last episode I'll shout out that's coming up in the future. I'm doing an episode on the Sega Master System game Zillion with Corey from My Life in Gaming and possibly another guest i'm so sorry oh i i have thoughts and i'm gonna save all of them for the episode (laughs) (laughs) that's that's a game to pick i'm sorry for interrupting you but no you're good my patrons (laughs) voted for it i am thankful but yeah i sure did so (laughs) (laughs) it's at but you can find me on social media at still loading pod over on twitter threads blue sky instagram um twitch I'm also at Still Loading Podcast on YouTube. And yeah, that's where you can find me. And this podcast is on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. Uh, Still Loading Podcast. All right. Thanks, Josh. Uh, Shane. Yes. You're time for the huge. Oh, my God. All right. Well, uh, well, Chris has already talked about the, the Patreon, so I won't go into that one again. Uh, if you know, you know. You know what you need to do. But if you want to find that, then uh, we do make it easy for you. We put, we put all our stuff in, in one location, and that is, in fact, 
at our link tree. So please uh, consider heading over to linktr.ee slash retro hangover and, and check out what we've got for you over there, whether that is in fact the Patreon or maybe it's the merch store. If you'd like to pick up a cool t-shirt or our socials, you can see what we're posting over there. Perhaps it's our YouTube channel where we have video versions of all these episodes, as well as the VODs from our Twitch streams, which uh, Chris is going to talk to you about in just a moment. And I do want to say, because I usually do, that if this is your first episode, then I am glad that you're here. We uh, we welcome you. We hope you had a good time. And, uh, you know, if, if you feel like sticking around, definitely go and check out the backlog of episodes that we have, because... Uh, we we also are very nearly creeping up on a decade of being a show, and uh, therefore, we have a lot of stuff for you to listen to. So if you haven't been keeping up, you could also be one of those intrepid individuals that we have had in our Discord who have gone back, back in time, and gone all the way and started from, from ground zero. Uh, I don't recommend that, but you can do it if you want to. Uh, just, you know, listener beware, you're, you're taking your life in your own hands, but if you can do it, it's, it's kind of like one of those eating contests at a restaurant where you got to eat like a, <laughs> you know, 10 pounds of waffles or something. And you accept the, the thing, the prize you get here is that you, you, you sure did listen to a lot of podcasts. That's it. That's the prize. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, but, but, you know, feel free to check that out if you want to. And, uh, with that, Chris, we we do things over on the Twitch television. Uh, what what is it that we do, and where where and when can people see it? Uh, Shane, you remember you're reminding me of the time when I was much younger, and uh, I I could order and complete a 72 ounce porterhouse steak. Those were the days. Mm. But if you want to know where you could find us on Sundays, head on over to Twitch.tv/slash/RetroHangover at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Over there on the Sunday stream. And we hope to see you there. We have quite a lively community that shows up for those two hours, generally two hours, unless one of us has the day off the next day, then we might stay a little bit later. But you never know what you're going to find. You're never going to know what we're going to be playing. You never know what kind of conversations we have. We haven't had any. We we had a whole conversation about Paula Dean that I don't want to remember, actually. <laughs> uh, but if you head over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover. I just wanted to make a joke about butter, Chris. That's all I was trying to do. Yes, white butter. I know, Shane. We, we, we got the point. But if <laughs> you head over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover, you can see us stream at 9 p.m. Eastern time and we will see you there. All right. Well, then. Unsalted. <laughs> Oh, I'm no, I'm very salted. Thank you very much. Uh, well, with that being said, until next time, play with your give a victory howl joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? 
No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's bit.ly slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.